All right, go ahead and grab a seat. We'll get started. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see you here this morning. We're going to be in James chapter 4, so if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one at the back or grab one of these devotionals. If you're new here this morning, this is our gift to you. You can turn to page 159 and follow along uh, where we're going for this morning and really throughout the rest of uh, the year. We also have tablets we pass to the aisle. So if you're new here this morning, know that we, we want to make it as easy as possible for you to learn about North Village Church. And so these tablets are just a way to help us stay connected, provide whatever information uh, you're comfortable with. A couple of years ago, I was driving uh, my car out of our neighborhood, and uh, these teenagers on a skateboard were, were crossing the street in, in front of me. And, and as they're kind of scurrying across the street, one of them drops a gallon of ice cream out of his backpack. And, uh, and so I, I slow down my... Uh, car and I, I roll down the window and, and, so, and so I say, hey, 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 hey kids, you, you dropped your ice cream. And like any normal teenager, uh, they assumed I was getting on to them for like, uh, you know, jaywalking, you know, or whatever. And, uh, and so they, uh, they turn around and as sarcastically as you can imagine a teenager saying, they say, uh, I can't hear you. So, I mean, at this point, uh, I've, I've, I'm slowing down my car even more, and, uh, and, and I yell even louder, you know, because ice cream's kind of a big deal, uh, especially in my family. You can't just leave that on the side of the road. And so I say, no, 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 you know, and I'm trying to point. I'm like, you dropped your ice cream. And, and, and of course, uh, like any good teenager, uh, they uh, are even further away, and, and so they yell even louder and slower, ah! I can't hear you. Uh, at that point, I'm getting a little annoyed. Uh, but I'm fully invested. I've come to a complete stop in the middle of the road, and, and I'm, just, I'm not proud of this. not one of my finer moments. But uh, I say, no, you idiot. Your ice cream, it's on the ground. And at that point, the teenager realizes the ice cream's on the ground. And so with a big smile and a big wave, he says, oh, thank you. <laughs> I think it's fair to say now more than ever, it's, it's, it's obvious that we're confused in our communication, right? That we're not connecting the dots with one another. Especially as you look at the amount of things we're trying to talk about these days. I mean, we have different opinions about the pandemic, different opinions about politicians, different opinions about the role of government, education, sexuality, ethnicity, and I guess now we got to become experts on fossil fuel. I mean, like there's so many things being talked about, and, and it's easy to see where we could get kind of cross-wired with one another, get frustrated with one another, and maybe we felt that desire to just kind of walk away from one another and, I can't hear you. Uh, the good news is that God's word speaks to our relational confusion. And this morning, we're going to see three subpoints: confusion with one another, confusion with God, and how do we gain Clarity. Let's start off with this first one, confusion with one another. Man, grab that devotional. Turn to page 159. You're going to see some questions. That's not really for this morning. Those are to guide you throughout the week. This morning, we're just going to dive into the passage. Let's start with verse 1. 
chapter 4 says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures with, that wage war in your members? So first, right off the bat, that word you, that pronoun you in verse 1 is a plural form. So we're not talking about quarrels and conflicts with just one person that kind of rubs us the wrong way. I mean, we're talking about the body of Christ in verse 1. The body of Christ, the church family, they're struggling to get along with one another. We've seen that throughout James, haven't we? In chapter 3, they're struggling to control their tongue. In chapter 2, they're struggling to not show favoritism and partiality. In chapter 1, they're double-minded men and women, and as a result, there's patterns of quarrels and fighting and arguments and clashing over different opinions. Isn't that what we see in our day-to-day? Who said the Bible was so outdated? I mean, haven't we all experienced quarrels and conflicts, especially these last two years? Haven't we all had moments where somebody said something that we didn't agree with? And you could feel, y'all had those moments where you just kind of feel the tension kind of bubbling? Do you say something? Do you just walk away? Haven't we all had those moments at work or extended family gatherings where a conversation drifts toward you know, everybody's talking about the weather and then abortion, gay rights, sexual expression, use of pronouns. And it's almost like, I don't know about you, but it's almost like I could, you could feel it. I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's about to happen. Like here, quarrels and conflicts coming to the surface. I wish we could blame it all on the pandemic and like, the last two years, like it's unique, right? But we all know that that's not the case. We know that our quarrels and conflicts aren't isolated events. We all have moments in our life where we've lashed out at a coworker for not doing their fair share. We've had moments where we've lost our temper with our children because they, they pushed our buttons Moments where we've snarky, where we get snarky with our, our spouse, right? They say something. Oh, yeah. You say something. Oh, yeah. It's like, poof, you're like volleying back and forth. It's usually in those moments where we start to kind of land on the blaming category, right? We say to ourselves like, oh, it's so frustrating. If those people would just stop doing those things. Everything would be great, right? We blame, right? If they, if they weren't the way they were, I wouldn't have these quarrels and conflicts in my life. If they just voted, if they knew, if they knew to vote the way that I vote, it would be so much easier if they just had my perspective, right? If I could just get you to see it from my perspective, you would agree with me. If you would just listen to this podcast, my favorite. If you just read this article, I've gotten so many articles in the last two years. Like, if you just read this article, right, the list goes on and on, right, that we want to blame. Like, if you just, 
But God's words, I was like, ha, ah, be careful. Be careful blaming other people because look at verses two and three. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you are asking with wrong motives so that you may spend it all on your pleasures. Hmm. Now, I could be wrong, but I'm assuming that the people in the context of the passage aren't literally murdering one another. Do you see that in verse 2? It's not clear. I mean, James brings up murdering one another again in chapter 5. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. You, be careful where you go to worship, right? So there's a, there's a lot going on. I think, it's, I think it's likely not literally murdering. I think it's, I think it's hyperbole, right, that, that James is trying to draw out the weight of our quarrels and conflicts by using strong language there, much like you know, when Jesus in Matthew 5, you know, said, you've heard it said, you, you shall not murder, but if you hate a brother or sister, you've already murdered them in your heart. I, th I think that's what's uh, going on. So it's likely that James is using hyperbole in verse 2 because it's easy for us to minimize our quarrels and conflicts. Have you noticed? We get in a quarrel and conflict. We tell ourselves, it's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. Everyone's not going to be friends. You know, we're not all going to be besties. It's okay. It's not that big a deal. Sometimes we don't get along. It's okay. We just tell ourselves quarrels and conflicts. It's going to happen. It's not that big a deal. But God's word is teaching us these quarrels and conflicts are a big deal. And we don't want to minimize them. It's like, it's like we're murdering our relationships with one another for the sake of the argument. In fact, James connects it to our prayers. He says, you, do, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. You see that? You ask and do not receive because you're asking with wrong motives because in those, in those moments when we are willingly chasing after that frothing at the mouth, quarrel and conflict, in that moment, we're not living under the rule of Christ in our life, but we're actually living under our selfish pleasures and passions. That's what he's bringing up at the end of verse 3, that word pleasures. That word pleasures in the original language is the word hedone. It's, it's where we get the English word hedonism. He uses it in verse 1 also, hedonism. Hedonism means to seek your own pleasures, right? It's that, it's that all-inclusive vacation on the beach, right? Hedonism, where you just go and pursue your own comforts. That's what he's saying. The reason we're, we're diving into these quarrels and conflicts so willingly and so frequently is because we're not living under the rule of Christ in those moments. We're just chasing our pleasures and our comforts. And he's saying, it's affecting your prayers. You're asking with wrong motives. We're in quarrels and conflicts with one another. Let's talk about our confusion with God. It'd be easy to assume our quarrels and conflicts are just with one another, right? But God's word teaches us that our greatest quarrel and conflict begins with him. Look at verses four, five, and six. He says, you adulteresses. You do not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives us a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In verse 4, you see the word adulteresses. Again, it's not a compliment. I mean, just to be clear, adultery, it's, it's someone who's having sex with somebody else outside of their marriage, right? But when James brings it up, he's not talking about sexual adultery. It's more so a spiritual adultery, that, that men and women in Christ are, are sneaking out, you know, in, in the middle of the night to hook up, not sexually, but spiritually to pursue friendship with the world. You see that? And the word friend, like, it's even stronger to be friends with the world. It's, in our American culture, we think of, we're kind of friends with everybody, you know, followers and friends, and it doesn't really mean, any, oh, there's my friend. But in the first century, a friend was somebody that you experienced deep connection. They were valued relationships where you were pursuing the same things and critically shaping one another's lives. And so James is, is saying you're spiritually pursuing friendship intimate, deep connection with the world. And when he says world, he's not talking about like the planet, like trees and rivers and mountains. He's not even saying world, like get a job, go on vacation, go enjoy a nice meal. He's talking about the world in a sense, the, the beliefs, the, the value systems of the day that are antithetical to the God of scripture and his character. So you, there's a spiritual adultery. You're, you're sneaking out in the middle of the night to, to hook up with the, the beliefs and systems of, of the world we live in. It's strong language. And we could spend the rest of our time really this morning talking about what does that look like practically to pursue friendship spiritual adultery with this world. But let's just keep drilling on these quarrels and conflicts. I mean, think about it in your life right now, what kind of where you are on, on your journey of maturity and ask yourself, do you enjoy quarrels and conflicts? I mean, think about the message our world is teaching us about quarrels and conflicts. I mean, our culture on the surface, love. On the surface, love, love, love. But if we look, I mean, if we see, it's obvious our culture loves quarrels and conflicts, right? You see it in the news cycle. Our culture loves division, loves stirring up gossip. He said, she said, slander. Oh, it's like morsels. Mm, they just eat it, eat it up. Loves, our world loves to vilify. Our world loves to chase after those pleasures and passions. And I'll be honest with you, like I see it rubbing off on me around the subject of quarrels and conflicts. Like, especially over the last two years, like I feel like I've been feeding on more media 
in the last two years than I, than I ever have. Because you're like, you want to stay up to date. You want to know what's going on. And, and I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like I find as I'm feeding on this media, I'm not just wanting to gain information. Like there's a part of me that's wanting to fortify for my quarrels and conflicts. You feel that? I mean, there's a part of me that knows like, hey, these subjects are going to come up in my day with extended family, with neighbors, with just random people. And I want to be ready. And I don't want to be ready, but I want to win. And sometimes I get like enticed by it. I don't want to win. I like, for the sake of like winning the argument and sacrificing the relationship. That's exactly what he's talking about. We're murdering our relationships with one another for the sake are we being discipled more by scripture, by God and his character? Or are we being discipled by the values and belief systems of the world? It's spiritual adultery. Does that make sense? I see this in my life. And it's possible you might be saying to yourself, well, well, I'm not a person of quarrels and conflicts. I'm kind of shy. But listen to me, avoiding people because it's uncomfortable, because the conversation got uncomfortable, it's the same thing. Like you, you might not be arguing and land blasting people, but to cut people off, to say in your heart, in your head, I don't want to be around those people anymore. I mean, it's nice on the outside, but it's the same heart attitude. It's layering of murdering those relationships. It's antithetical to God's word. It's friendship with the world. The good news is, the good news is in five and six that God of Scripture doesn't turn his back on us. Like when people create hostility in, in our lives, we do. We cut them out. Like, I don't need that in my life. I don't need that type of energy in my life. But the God of Scripture doesn't do that. He writes in verse five. Do you think the scripture speaks to no purpose? No, he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Do you see that in verse five? Yes, James uses strong words like you adulterous, murderous people. <laughs> and at the same time, verse six, equally as strong, he writes, but he gives greater grace. I want you to hear that this morning. As loud as you can right now, just ask the Spirit of God to open your heart to the truth of what God's Word is, is teaching. Because yes, absolutely, we are spiritually adulterous people. We are quarrelers and fighters. We are offensive with our tongue. We lack in compassion towards others. We are stained by the values of this world. And yet, the gospel, what James writes in verse 6, but he gives greater grace that is so rich. I hope you hear that. It is strong words and equally as strong. He gives greater grace. And just in case you thought Michael was trying to put a positive spin on it, we only need to look at Hosea in the Old Testament. I know it's a popular movie these days called Redeeming Love. It's about Old Testament prophet named Hosea. And if you don't know, God comes to Hosea. The God of Scripture calls Hosea to chase after a woman. And he tells Hosea, that woman is going to betray you. 
She's going to chase after affair, after affair, over and over. And he says to Hosea, don't quit loving her. Don't leave her. Don't abandon her. Just keep chasing after her. Put your love upon her. And he says to Hosea, why? He says, because that's how I feel about you. He says to Hosea that you also are an adulterous people. And I also am going to keep chasing after you. That's the gospel, but he gives greater grace. I mean, Genesis 1, he creates us. He, 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 he breathes life into us. What do we do? We slam the door in his face with our sin. We, 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 we get away from him as fast as possible. Genesis 3, he commits and says, no, but I'm going to chase after you in Genesis 3 to reconcile you, to redeem you. And what do we do? We wander. We walk away over and over. You read it in the scriptures. And then he says, I'm going to come in the flesh so you can see me. I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. And what do we do? We kill him. His love for us, he gives greater grace. He doesn't stop. He calls out to us. He opens our eyes. He gives us faith to believe in him. James 1 says he takes the word of truth and he plants it into our soul. The spirit of God is planted into our being. And he says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you always. That's the gospel. He gives greater grace. We get all teary-eyed when we watch, you know, John Cusack and say anything. Oh, I mean, the hold up a boom box. We're just like, oh, Right? That's so, we think that's amazing. We're like, in your eyes, the light and heat, your eyes. We're just like, I want somebody to do that for me. Are you kidding? <laughs> like the gospel is so much more rich than boombox John Cusack. In Christ, he is chasing after you, and it won't end. He gives greater grace. So please hear that this morning. Hear, yes, that we are spiritually adulterous, murderous people, and he gives greater grace. Listen to me. Listen to me. If you don't know Jesus, you need to receive him into your life. He gives greater grace, but you need to know Jesus. And if you don't know him, you need to believe in him right now. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that you are spiritually adulterous and that he has put it to death at the cross and he's conquered it and his grace is on you. It'll never leave you, but you've got to receive him into your life. That's our second sub point. Let's talk about how do we gain clarity? We know there's confusion in our relationships. We know we get confused in our relationship with God He teaches us about how to gain clarity. He says in verse 7, Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. 
it'd be easy to take verses 7 to 10 just as a, it's a collection of thoughts, right? But I just want to kind of break it down into uh, kind of two responses uh, for us. There's an, there's an offense and a defense, right? Of how, how do you take these scriptures? And there's an offense and there's a defense. Let's look at the, the first one. Offense. Submit yourself to God. I mean, if you want to reduce those quarrels and conflicts in your life, if you want to be on guard against sneaking out the door mentally, emotionally, to pursue friendship with the world, Scripture calls us, verse 7, to submit yourself to God. Maybe you're submitting yourself to the God of Scripture for the first time this morning. Praise God. But every day, Throughout the day, we submit ourselves to God, to follow him, to trust him. Like that, that we're not walking through life doing our passions. We're not hedonistic. We're not pursuing our comforts, our pleasures. We're dying to those things. We're turning from those things. We're following him. You with me? Submit yourself to God. His name is Jesus. He's the creator of all things. He spoke creation into existence. He knows how life is supposed to work. He tells us, I've come to give you abundant life. That's not just for heaven. That's for today. There's abundant life in Jesus today. We don't have to get in the traps of quarrels and, and conflicts. We don't have to pursue friendship with the world. But we do need to submit our life to him and his word and follow him. Do that. Do that with the same intensity that we see in, in verse 8. He says, draw near to him. Purify your hearts to confess. That means you're thinking about, I mean, where, where am I getting lured and tempted into quarrels and conflicts? Where am I getting pulled into the friendship of this world? Where am I chasing my passions and my pleasures? And weep over that. Don't minimize it. Stop making excuses. It's the pandemic. I'm stressed. It's hard. Confess it with an urgency of heart. Grieve over it. Cry out to him. When we do prayer at the end, push people down to get to those people. To pray for me. Submit yourself to the God of Scripture. Defense, resist the devil. It isn't often. If you're new here this morning, we don't talk about the devil every Sunday. But the devil is real. Scripture calls us to resist him. That we're prepared, that we're mentally, emotionally, actively resisting, that we're not casual about the enemy and his schemes. John 8 tells us he's a liar. He's whispering lies all the time. Revelation 12 tells us that he's an accuser, that he's whispering lies and doubts and accusations in our ear all the time. Genesis 4 tells us that sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to master you. Sin's not wanting to tickle you, play with you. It's wanting to master you. So he resists the devil. He loves quarrels. 
You got to know these last two years with one another, with extended family, with coworkers, he delights in quarrels and conflicts. He loves to isolate. He loves to whisper lies that nobody gets you, nobody understands you. Get away from all these people. Go out on your own. You're a rebel. You're independent. You march to the beat of your own drum. He loves isolation. He loves division. He loves it when we snuggle up to the systems and beliefs of this world. He loves it when we justify our sinful patterns, when we make excuses, when we minimize a lack of character. And so resist him. I wish I could tell you, just come to North Village Church Come to North Village Church every other Sunday and the devil will flee from you. I wish I could make that promise. But it's not true. In fact, I think you can make the argument that if you come to North Village Church, the devil will even get more excited about you because he hates what North Village Church stands for. But he hates it. And so by coming to our church family, be careful. Be careful. You're putting yourself on his radar. We absolutely love God's word. We love God's word. He hates it. We love confession and repentance and soft hearts. He hates it. We love relationships and get involved in each other's lives and it gets messy and it gets awkward. He hates it. He hates it. So be careful. Resist the devil. Be prepared. The apostle Peter, he writes that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's how we gain clarity. You submit yourself to Jesus. You start following him. You actively prepare against the schemes of the devil. This morning, we're going to celebrate communion. We're going to celebrate communion because we're going to be reminded that when James, when God's word is speaking these strong words, when God's word's reminding us, but he gives greater grace that we're not individuals, that we're a body of Christ. We celebrate communion collectively. And the, the bread, the cracker, it's a, it's a symbol of Jesus' body that's broken at the cross for our sin. The juice, a symbol of his blood that's been poured out at the cross for our spiritual adultery and gossip and slander and quarreling and fighting. It's been all paid for right? And so we come forward, we celebrate a meal together of what we have in Christ. And you, verse 10, it says that one day we will be exalted. Do you know that? That one day for those of us who are in Christ, that we will be exalted with him. So right now it is hard. It's hard. There's quarrels, there's conflicts, there's friendship with the world. There's a lot going on. And he's reminding us in scripture, it is hard, but one day we will be exalted. All the prayers, right, will give glory and honor to his goodness. All the sacrifice, all the generosity, all the reconciliation to pursue peace with one another. One day, all who are in Christ will be exalted because we have a savior who walked through difficult times, right? We have a savior who walked through the darkest of days, put to death on the cross. Everybody thought all hope was lost. The devil, the enemy, he thought he had won. And then three days later, he was exalted. Three days later, he was resurrected. 
the gospel is that we not only participate in his death, but we also, we will participate in his exaltation, that we will be raised with him. And so when you come forward to celebrate communion, you come forward with that truth, that the debt has been paid, that you are in Christ, that he's never going to leave you, and that one day we will be exalted. Will you close your eyes? Can you bow your head?